This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. So this is Paul Verschur uh, with the Barcelona Cognition Brain Technology uh, Summer School, uh, speaking with uh, Joseph Barcohen. Um, active in the field of biomimetics for a long time. Um, and in your presentation this morning, you, you started out with, with sketching a bit the philosophy of biomimetics, right? Why would you do biomimetics? Also, as an engineer, solving practical problems, where does biomimetics come in? How does it help? Biomimetics is... Uh, uh, it's, it's hard to define it as a field because what is it? It's everything. Everything we do have some roots in biomimetics. The cloth we wear, if you think about the spider and the way it net things, you know, you know, I imagine that the, you know, uh, primitives have seen this net and saw the idea of making fibers and netting them in the way they, so eventually it led to the clothing. Um, so as a as an idea to copy nature, definitely we can look for what else we can learn. At least in my lab, we're looking at uh, uh, a drill that can go drill deep. We call it gopher, so that it does basically what the gopher does. And uh, also another aspect is we're doing what we call health monitoring, uh, terms that is drawn from our health monitoring. And basically, we're looking at tubing and making sure that they are healthy. Mm -hmm. So those are specific areas that right now I'm focusing on that are drawn from, uh, by, by the field of biomimetics. Mm -hmm. Right. But now, what, what makes an approach biomimetic in your, in your approach? Uh, the approach that is biomimetics is uh, the concept of, uh, at least it's specific one of uh the gopher is basically the ability to remove not as a drill that just keep going and remove materials as it drills continuously. This one, what we call a wire line. It goes in, grab material, gets out, throw this material, and keep going through the, the ground. Mm -hmm. That's a biomimetic concept. Right. Yeah. But so for if what someone I, didn't know that that's what it is, of course we would not have named it Gopher. Right. Yeah. But now, for what are you building this robot? What's Gopher going to do in the end? This is not a robot, mm -hmm. but in terms of robots, um, I am uh, working on. At least at this, at this point, it's a proposal. We worked on a on a rover like that that has legs. Just legged robot is biomimetic robot. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are using a drill that does not require high action load so that it can anchor itself as it climbs steep walls or steep mountains, if you want, and mm -hmm. cliffs. Mm -hmm. So that is a direction that we're also mm -hmm. taking. So, and hopefully we'll land on different planets with it. Right, and explore them. Mm -hmm. So climbing cliffs... To what extent, so if you showed us that there, you also look at mountain goats as a source of, of inspiration, but how does the mountain goat help you to build a climbing robot? Number one, it is possible. 
to climb rope with rope mm-hmm. that has legs. If uh, you know, um, same, same thing about flying. People looked at uh, insects and birds, and they knew it's possible to fly. We just need to do the homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at the mountain goat, maybe I'm not sure. I, we haven't made it to climb walls yet. We just did preliminary experiments of uh, making the foundations to allow us to do that. But we may have to do just like uh, the other people who are uh, doing a lobster and looking at the lobster, how it solves its problems. We may have to go to the zoo and check with the, mm-hmm. with the goat to see what does it do when there is specific conditions and how it analyzes the situation and climbs. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, it doesn't anchor. We are going to anchor. That's mm-hmm. some advantage. So I'm wondering how they do that. Mm-hmm. So but then... Um, that that means that in some sense you're also saying, look, the current state of the art, if we just talk about our more standard standard engineering approach towards robotics, in in if I look at how, how you pursue solving problems like now climbing climbing cliffs, that also implies you're saying, well, in some sense we're missing something in our standard approaches to to solving these kinds of real world problems to robots. So what what to you is then this this missing ingredient right now? We will have uh, uh, the difficulty of navigating and what we call negotiating the terrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, a goat uh, does it much faster than we probably will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the degrees of freedom that we probably will have equivalent to the goat. Um, but how all this eye-hand coordination that the goat, or leg coordination, right. What that God does, it's for us. It's gonna be not gonna be so easy, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, hopefully we will we'll take it as a reference for what is possible. Right, but there's something else. Of speed and performance. Another another animal that you that you highlighted was the octopus. Yeah. So why do you find the octopus so so interesting? It it's quite fascinating. You know, here you can mention ideas that sound like science fiction. You know, there's. Uh, uh, the Terminator 2, the movie, and, well, the octopus can go through tubes and hide itself, uh, camouflage itself. If you can think of uh, a robot that can go under doors, hide like a carpet, and just look for bad guys, police job or a military job, sound like science fiction, but that's what the octopus does part of its living, mm-hmm. you know? So this is something that is fascinating, possible. We don't have the tools to do mm-hmm. that. There are some works that have been done on the camouflage, but having a, a ability to squeeze a body of a robot that can go through a narrow tube, mm-hmm. we don't have that. No. If anything, it could be an EAP. If we have electroactive polymers that can help in the shaping this could be po- become possible, but we're not there yet. Right. We're far from mm. that point. Yeah, so the, also the octopus was a little bit the stepping stone into really thinking more systematically about materials, right? Like what, what, is the, actually what, what are the possibilities today of building these highly compliant and robust materials that we see used in nature? So, so what's the state of the art and where did we come from? Well, put it this way. We do have some materials that, are, we, that could help us. We cannot copy nature exactly. There's no way. 
even airplane. It's not exactly flying uh, by flapping wings. It flies with jet engines as the best, and uh, that's why we beat nature in every way possible. Uh, we may not going to do the same thing or same tricks that the octopus does, but we have materials that allow us to have controlled rigidity, for example. An example is electroreological liquids. Mm -hmm. uh, they allow you to have controlled rigidity. You can make a structure that is rigid because the, this liquid is becoming rigidized in different areas if you need. And if you need to make it just fluid, you make it fluid. Mm -hmm. So this combination of controlled rigidity may allow us to do things like that. But to what extent is it biomimetic? The fact that it is inspired by the octopus to crawl through tubes mm -hmm. or through narrow spaces. That is not referring to the ability to create camouflage. Right. The camouflage capability, there are people who are working on a display that is plastic, mm -hmm. that are basically totally polymer and making display. So with that, if you uh, have a surface that is basically a display, mm -hmm. you can make it to do everything. Mm -hmm. You know, the cameras are tiny nowadays. You can make it copy the neighborhood and basically come off like yourself, just like mm -hmm. the octopus. Right, so but it means for you, the biomimetics <laughs> is in, in copying or, or, or yeah, realizing the functional properties of the system. So for instance, for you, it's not necessary that the way the material controls its rigidity is done at a mechanistic level at the way that approximates the octopus's solution. It can be a different kind of solution, like with these, these special materials you know, talked about, that can change their rigidity in a controllable fashion. Right. I mean, copying nature is many times is impossible. So we have to see what we can do, and copying functionality is a way. Even electroactive polymers, they are not they are called artificial muscles, but they are performance and functionality similar, mm -hmm. not mechanism similar. Uh, we don't have this capability of, uh, of a structure to be consistent of those tiny cells that rejuvenate themselves. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when a structure fails, it just fails. I mean, if you have cracked, there is self-repair people have been working on. It's not exactly, but it's mm -hmm. inspired by nature. The idea is that you can create repair mechanisms that the structure will repair itself. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just like we are. When mm -hmm. we are injured, our body takes care of the uh, fixing. Right. So now, when you describe these kinds of biomimetic materials, you made a distinction between, let's say, two coarse categories of approaches. One more anchored in physics and the other one more anchored in chemistry. And I, f I thought it was a really nice separation or also a classification of a whole bunch of different methods. So so what's the problem you try to solve with, with that kind of categorization? Well, the idea was to try to help engineers, scientists who, want, who are not chemists, who want to step into the field of electroactive polymers and do some work there. Uh, it makes it easier if they know, okay, if it's ionic, this is the kind of properties I should expect. If it's uh, electronic, or we call it mm -hmm. uh, field activated, this is other properties I can expect. Then you don't have to worry about knowing that, you know, polymer so-and-so is whatever it is. You don't have to remember, mm -hmm. there's a lot of polymers and derivatives of them. You know, so uh, if you're a chemist, 
it's your you know mm-hmm. you know what you're doing this is your field and you all mm-hmm. feel comfortable but our problem is if we this is a relatively small field and if we want to draw into it more people to walk in it we don't want to make their entry hard one we want to make it as easy as possible and they can be comfortable with whatever they can bring this is a multidisciplinary field so if they can bring physics they can bring electronics what I want them to do is focus on that capability and just quickly be able to work with the field with what is available uh, I didn't mention at the presentation that I have a website where uh, if you want to know how to make it there is a recipe that I ma- managed to get from the people who invented those materials who came up with these materials who were generous enough to give us a recipe mm. so if you want to make it there is this recipe if you don't want to make it I also have another website where you can find where to get it mm-hmm. it's still most of those places are custom made actually all of them are we don't have commercial products yet so you may when you buy it's a little bit more expensive because it's still one of a kind mm-hmm. so if, when you order they have to make it for you rather than right. they already made millions the and the cost is divided mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Sure. But now what are the key features of this, let's say, physics-based approach to artificial muscle? It is, it muscle? is not just necessarily physics-based. It's a type of material. Okay. There are, as I mentioned, some, some of those materials that are driven by just electric field. By the electric field makes them respond. These are become, these are rheological liquid is one of them whether you get rigidity mm-hmm. or they contract or change shape or whatever happened to them as a result, mechanical result of this electrical field stimulation. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of voltage. It could be in the thousands of volts as opposed to the chemistry type that are required relatively low voltage and uh, they are chemistry in action. Mm-hmm. You know, when you subject them to electric field, it's not the electric field that drives them, it's the current that goes through them. And therefore, you know, it doesn't matter how thick. Mm-hmm. You, if you need two vo- the same two volts will do the same effect if it is a, a big tank or a small tank, as opposed to the what we call the physics base, the, right. the electrically stimulated. But ball. now for... for if I let's say I want to actuate my my robot arm with an artificial muscle system, which why would I choose one system, one approach over the other? The uh, electronic type or field activated type, the advantage they have, first of all, you walk it try air. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about suddenly the material dries on you and dies if we use a quote unquote. Uh, it is able to sustain position. So you don't need to have power if it doesn't move. Just having it maintain the position, you need to, to supplement the drift, the, the um, creeping uh, charges that go through, but otherwise it is basically freebie. So you, you can put it in, in that position. For robotics it is important. Uh, it's only when you move that when you need power. Uh, as opposed to everything else, I mean, when you talk about the other group, I think is the opposite. They mm-hmm. dry when you put them in, uh, you know, 
different poly, uh, uh, polymers, the conductive type, or what is called conductive conducting polymers, can sustain position, but you have to do all, and, and some of them can be done at dry condition, mm -hmm. but it is not the whole group. Mm -hmm. Most of them are suffering from those weaknesses. Right. So now if, if I have these, these uh, active polymers, I can build my muscle, and um, what kind of force can, can we generate today? What, what's the state of the art there? Well, to simplify it, um, we, there were uh, demonstrations at the conference that I chaired in San Diego where the highest uh, anyone was hanging mass on and able to raise and drop was in the level of uh, 10 kilogram. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea what kind of forces mm -hmm. you can generate with them, with the practical mm -hmm. size. Uh, but then how, how much of this, of this material do I need to, to lift 10 kilograms or to pull 10 kilograms on the string? Um, the uh, Groupum Empire uh, uh, created those actuators you know, in 2005, and they needed ropes that are about centimeter diameter mm -hmm. by about uh, 20 centimeter long, and they used a group of those, if I'm not wrong, something like 20 of them, just so that they could hang uh, bottled water of... Uh, um, 20 kilo, kilogram, mm -hmm. or, oh, I'm sorry, 20 liter, if I'm not wrong. Mm -hmm. Those are the numbers. Okay. But just, give it, just to give you a rough idea. Right, but are we in a range that you also have a power density of, of this material that starts to become comparable to what we see in nature? Yes, so we do have the power density, uh, but on the low, on the small scale, and it is not, if, if you... In order to make it intuitive, the comparison, I have this arm wrestling challenge because um, it gives you a gauge where we are. Mm -hmm. and, and when we compare a system where you have a control and a driver and uh, electronics and everything combined to a system, rather than someone sat down in the lab and just measured somehow how the actuator does it, then we are at the point of one order of magnitude weaker performance mm -hmm. of the actuators, the speed of the actuator, the force of the actuator, the speed of the actuator. So we have some way to go, quite a bit of way uh, to go. Okay. So, um, but now the, the next step up, it might be nice to have these, these muscle type uh, solutions for actuation, but it raises a whole bunch of new questions about control, because in some sense, it goes far beyond, or it's actually a completely different form of control than, than what we are, would be used to in, in robotics. So how do you see that pan out? Well, we will have to learn how to control these materials. People have been working on a control, and there is a lot of sessions in the conference on EAP in San Diego that are dedicated to the topic of control. Mm -hmm. uh, just for simplicity of uh, intuitive feeling about it, you walk in the street and your hands are not rigid attached to your body. They just swing without doing anything about it. Just like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. And you don't even think about it. And then when you want to make a watch, same hands suddenly become precision tools. So we have this ability to control this flexible hands. Mm -hmm. Of course, we have bones in them, make it helpful. Uh, we do need 
to understand how those materials work and somehow be able to do the needed control. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to remember that if uh, a muscle like that activated an object, the damping is not uh, as rigid as if it was a piezoelectric material moving that thing. So we have to take those into account. But it, I'm sure with time we'll be able to deal with it much better. Right. So now, as sort of the current state of the art, in, in this field also of, of humanoid robotics, we could take uh, Robonaut, right? Which now says now just uh, is testing in space. So what can Robonaut really do today? What are sort of the capabilities of these systems? Robonaut is not driven by EEP. Mm -hmm. It has motors in it. And of course, it, the mass is significant because those motors are not lightweight like EAP. Uh, the capabilities you probably could see in the internet. There's quite a bit description of uh, the Robonaut mm -hmm. and what it can do. And of course, uh, soon, hopefully, we'll see it soon in performance in space. Right. Uh, so, uh, since it is not related directly to my work, mm -hmm. there's so much I want to talk about it. But uh, as I said, it would be nice if we could drive it with the EAP. No, exactly. So the question no. is, how far in the future do you see that link-up happen, that that we can look at, let's say, robots we can really use effectively in different tasks that are now driven by these more biomimetic materials? Predicting the future is very difficult. At least one, one thing I can say. I see the time to this happening is getting shorter now because more large industries are now backing producers of EAP. There's a group in Denmark, there's a group in Switzerland, and there's a group in uh, the US and San Francisco, it's called Artificial Muscle. And the specific one, I will mention the, uh, the one in Artificial Muscles, where Bear Drug Maker is behind them. Mm -hmm. They purchased this company, and That's uh, right. so they have good backing. And they're starting to make commercial products. Uh, once we see commercial commercial products coming, that is a major step, because we will start seeing funding resulting from the profit of selling EAP, making companies more uh, receptive to invest in this area because they re they see return on investment. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, they will see return on investment. Because if it's not, of course, uh, they will be reluctant to put money into something that will take another 20 years. Sure. Uh, and of course, with time, things will happen. Uh, even laser, when it was invented, the laser was were huge. Uh, applications were very limited. And look at that. Now they are pointers and uh, uh, readers of CD and DVD. Uh, you just name it. Where mm. it went and mm -hmm. uh, how inexpensive they were, they became, right. as opposed to where mm -hmm. they used to be years mm -hmm. back. Right. So hopefully mm -hmm. we'll see similar success mm -hmm. to this field. Right, so you're saying, so you're coming out with a book very soon about um, robots, right? The about robot revolution. biomimetics. It right. includes chapters about robotics, mm -hmm. include about marine, mm -hmm. include about EEP, the latest applications, including... Um, a braille displays, active braille, or the, we call them refreshable right. braille displays. Mm. 
well, what has been done with the electrolytic mm. polymers right. towards so, making them. But previously, uh, fairly recently, actually, uh, so uh, you're a fast writer, um, you also had a book that was called The Coming Robot Revolution, right? Right. And um, The Coming. Yes, The Coming Robot Revolution. Right. So, um, so what's the shape of that revolution you have in mind? The biomimetics is about the whole field in general, not mm -hmm. necessarily. It's more about innovation and invention that resulted from biomimetics. Yep. The book about robotics mm -hmm. was specifically about human-like robots. Mm -hmm. And to just to tell the uh, audience uh, the inside story, just the publisher didn't want to have a name human-like robots. They wanted it to be a revolution, they have buzzwords like that. Mm -hmm. They even wanted to have a picture of a robot with a knife or gun or something. And I said, no way. Hmm. I wanted, I was willing to go with this uh, picture the way, if you look at the internet, you'll see the picture. That was okay with me. Uh, and uh, basically what uh, the message there is, uh, we are now up, uh, slowly learning to live with robots. It's our way of life. Uh, we just making them human-like is just shaping the capability. Uh, we already have ability to see with the machines and actually they uh, use them to recognize people. Uh, we're using them to, to recognize speech and they are now, you call the bank and they, you can make transactions just by talking to your phone, through your phone. Uh, we are at the level that we, uh, this robot can recognize up to thousand words or even more, some claim even more. Uh, that's not bad. And mm -hmm. uh, so uh, you, there are stores, at least in the US, that grocery store and hardware store, where you just shop yourself. I mean, you take your products, scan them, and the machine tell you what to do. It asks you to give it your credit card. And everything is done electronically with a machine. You don't talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. And people mostly prefer that because I can do it faster than I have someone at the cashier scanning my product and then ask me for a credit card and then get my mm -hmm. signature. Everything is done electronically. So we're slowly liking that kind of approach. Soon when maybe you go to a restaurant and the person who comes to take your order will be just a robot. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you will feel more comfortable because they will be all the time around you when you need them. Mm -hmm. rather than vanish and we are after um, who knows when they show up to ask you what do you want if you need anything. There's some advantages. Um, and uh, so two things are happening. Evolution of improvements. Uh, we're getting used to them, recognize their need. However, we are not where we want it to be. If you mm -hmm. look at, movie, at uh, science fiction books, by now they were expecting to have robots everywhere. We're mm -hmm. not there. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, I think we, we need to, to do it slowly because this revolution of robots, and that's basically the, the revolution I'm talking about, and there is a chapter totally about this issue of ethics and think to worry about these robots. Because while they can be very helpful, and there are already quite a bit of development, they can be dangerous. Uh, you know, if uh, someone clones you, and you can be watching TV, watching the news, suddenly breaking news, and you see yourself... <clears throat> robbing a bank mm -hmm. and you're sitting at home someone copied you and this uh, robot will leave on purpose your fingerprint you will have it will have your dna scattered everywhere because they copied you and and cloned you very quickly 
And what would you do? And they can even make it worse. Mass produce you 100 times and you can rob all the banks of the city. What mm. would you do about that? You know, talking about stealing your identity with credit cards, this is just a minor problem compared to have robots that have you completely. No one will believe you when you show up at the police to know that you are you and mm -hmm. not a robot. I mean, things that you see on video movies are starting slowly to become reality. And of course, you, you always have concern. We, we naturally are afraid of you know, something looking like human. Um, my daughter, when she was young, we bought her a, a, a doll that walking and singing. And we thought she would be happy and hug her maybe. She was scared out of her mind. And not only her, our grandson. My wife went with uh, him to, when he was three-year-old, to Disney. He was scared out of the mind when he saw those robots. And mm -hmm. he wanted to get out before who knows what happened. Mm -hmm. So there is something natural, fundamental to us about this fear. And, you know, it's, uh, how do you explain that? But, you know, it's basically just looking like us and that's become bad. Because they don't have problem when you give them a doll without mm -hmm. motion or dog toys or all those toys like cows mm -hmm. but they are afraid when it looks like human right but now <clears> there, there are two things about this on the one hand this is not necessarily going to happen tomorrow right because to go from ubiquitous computing the examples you mentioned to really integrated actuated systems that that are also psychologically and morphologically plausible we still have a few steps right to, to go there but I agree with you, we can imagine that this can be realized. So so now you're sketching this problem. Like like here I have 10 million clones of you, um, but they're all robots, okay? So that's the problem. How are you gonna solve that problem? It's a problem. Now I want a solution. Uh, the solution is the fact that all this thing is happening slowly will make sure we will come at the reasonable solution that would improve as the technology developed, well, but because that, it is a problem, no matter. But what. that's a belief, right? Because it I might as well it might as well be the fr the frog in the boiling water problem, right? That sort of as as long as things change slowly, you think there's no problem until it's too late. Well, I mean, look, look in this way: the spamming that we get from uh, email. We had the problem, big problem. We dealt with it. Uh, mm. We have viruses. We dealt with it. Uh, it's the kind of thing that we somehow recognize it's a problem. This is the same, could be the same issue. Mm -hmm. Here's someone make you, you uh, sell your robot. Not necessarily copied you, but while it is in your home, someone take over the control mm -hmm. and basically they send all these pictures from the home. I'm sure in flow, I mean, uh, a robot like that in a house of an actor in uh, California, you know, famous actor, I'm sure... Lots of people would like to see on YouTube mm -hmm. images right from the house when she, the actor was feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. You mm -hmm. know, how do you protect it against it? This could be uh, an issue. You're talking about all this, uh, they call them, that they, they chase uh, uh, actors to take photos. Mm -hmm. Here, this, this robot sits in their own home mm -hmm. you know, and sending pictures. Right, but then one solution could be that, that we have to just generate a new set of laws. For instance, that we will not build robots, or it would be outlawed to build robots that are exactly replicas of systems that we would recognize as animals or as humans. 
It could be a possibility. It could be the one of solution. Uh, on the other hand, we are trying to build robots that will look like animals mm-hmm. uh, and, and perform like animals. So one other angle of fear I have of this is that we build all these birds that will fly, and if we use them in a war, we'll make the enemy kill all the birds because they don't know which one is real, which mm-hmm. one is not. So mm-hmm. they will kill anything that flies like a bird or quack mm-hmm. like a bird, right? You know, and that's a danger. That mm-hmm. is a side effect right. of developing mm-hmm. technology like right. that. What would mm-hmm. we do? Not mm-hmm. develop this kind of technology, or, you know? Well, that's the question, right? So if we say, look, we're not going to build replicants because otherwise we have the same problem as in the Android Dream of Electric Sheep of Philip K. Dick or Blade Runner, that in the end we we, we had this massive difficulty to actually recognize or dis distinguish the replicants from the robots from the humans and that is this crop folk test for that to look at the emotional responses um so so okay we so this this could be a possible future danger of let's say biomimetics at this morphological level um is that a reason not to do it then if you if you take that angle and put this way it's important to know what can go wrong i mentioned that in my lecture knowing that something can go wrong is important Hide it under the carpet. Mm-hmm. That's bad. But if electricity is, it has its negative too. Stick your finger with a nail into one of the poles, you will die. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean that we're going to stop using electricity. Cars kill people. Mm-hmm. We have in the U.S. We have fifty thousand people die every year in accidents. Mm-hmm. We still drive. We have laws, we improve safety, we're doing a lot of things to improve, but this has become, we, we cannot live without them. Robots, maybe at the beginning, we probably won't live, will be able to live without them, but soon, once they become part of our life, mm-hmm. it will be the same problem. We'll have them causing trouble, making mistakes, uh, software go wild, haywire, right. but we'll have to somehow deal with what could go wrong while we enjoying the benefit. The mm-hmm. law expected a lot of benefits from them. And I can imagine a lot of them, you know, uh, we are, we, Japanese recognize it even more than any other society because their society is declining. There is more elderly than youngs and they're looking for people to help the elderly in nursery home, for example. And they're making robots to, to help them, remind them of medication, making sure they're okay, just be around them, make sure that everything under control. So they are using mm-hmm. them. So they're slowly getting yeah, but into the their acceptance, life. But the acceptance of these robots is not necessarily very high. I mean, there are cases where these robots were introduced in, let's say, in nursing homes, but the humans were not very pleased with them. They actually didn't like it. I'm put this way. If you go to a friend and they introduce you to the new robot they just got and you, the robot made incredible meal, cleaned the dishes, took the garbage, did it all efficiently without breaking anything, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go home, look at the internet where they sell those and order one. It's just a matter of time. Right. Of course, when it comes to your home, it will start breaking dishes and everything else. <laughs> But then you have to cooking. deal with it. But I'm sure, you know, with time, we'll improve mm-hmm. on that. Because right. even everything you will remember of technology at the beginning, there were, uh, there were mm-hmm. flows of, uh, you know, childhood uh, diseases. Problems, yes. Problems, you know, and uh, look what it is today. Yes. Know? So, but now, what do you mean with the knowledge of human-like robots? Why is that, why is that important? 
Well, the human-like aspect is, uh, I mean, it, you could have machines that look like human, but we feel more comfortable with human. I mentioned that too. Uh, it has to be our size to begin with. You know, if you want it to be useful for us, if it's like, let, can you get me this bottle? And the bottle is on the table. If the robot is too short, you know, by the time you get me the bottle, I'll be thirsty like the hell, you know. Or if it's too big, you know, it will be so clumsy and it won't even be able to get through the door. So you want it to go through your door, open, you know, open the door comfortably. I want it to do all the things we can do. So if it can do it, it probably would, would be nice if it has the same capability we have. Mm -hmm. Five fingers in each hand, two hands, I don't know, maybe useful to have more, but probably evolution already found that it's better <laughs> management of uh, mm -hmm. the space around us to have two legs and two hands rather than have multiple, you know, even though the solution on a smaller level, lower level uh, life mm -hmm. was that there is more of them, you know, a spider has eight of them. Right. Uh, so. And of course, if we find useful, we'll do it. You know, it's just an evolution, I mean, development evolution. So uh, the other aspect is we are very comfortable with communication with human language, body language. If I smile, people appreciate that, that you know, I'm happy. And uh, of course, if I'm angry, this is all expert to the face. So if you want to talk to your robot and the robot does something stupid, instead of programming so that you can say, I'm angry, <laughs> You just show angry face, that's it, mm -hmm. you know? Especially if the general public is starting to use robots rather than mm -hmm. those who, who don't care about sitting and programming, which is what we do anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it would be nice. And look mm -hmm. what uh, suddenly social media is doing with computers. Mm -hmm. No one would have imagined that suddenly every kid will have to have a computer so that they can communicate with Facebook and what all this... Uh, uh, capabilities that we have today, mm -hmm. you know, even though computers were made initially for computational, so it was mm -hmm. computation machine, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, but so the, but you're saying, look, we evolved to exist in a certain niche. We have also shaped our world to have certain affordances, so we can deal with cups and tables and chairs. We have structured all these things to fit also our own morphology and our own behavior, so our affordances match the world we have created. Um, so you're saying to insert robots in that, they must match that similar set of affordances. And that's, that's why they should be human-like. But this could possibly also create an exactly a conflict with your earlier problem that I can clone you. Because you're saying, look, because of these functional requirements, I have to build something that is very human-like. It even has to look human because otherwise it cannot communicate. But then automatically as an artifact, you create now all these problems you sketched earlier, which is like, well, now I can clone Joseph Barcone and I can have him rob a bank. Right, so so, I mean, there are solutions to that. You know, okay. you can have the forehead with a license plate. Okay, as an example, there mm -hmm. are possibilities of solution. But okay, you could you could run around without license plate. Uh, so of course, the license plate I think is and is there not could effective. could be a code or something. I mean, it could be a device, just like uh, you know, fake money. Mm -hmm. There are scanners that you can use that can scan which one is real, which one is fake. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have. Mm -hmm. Definitely, we can identify a machine versus human with detectors. Yeah, but, but in some sense, you make an assumption, right? Because maybe we want these machines that help us, that assist us in everyday life, to be recognizable as machines and not necessarily do everything. Maybe we want to have a recognizable, more like a tool. This is my assistive tool. It is a more a human-compatible human robot as opposed to a human-like robot. Would you buy that? 
it's probably will this is what will happen at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure with time we'll desire more and we'll ask for more. And, and of course, if I my vision is, I don't know if it will be 100 years from now, 200 years from now, robots will do way better than humans. In the, what? Will be the robots of the future will do way better than humans. But in what? But in what? In what will it do way better? In everything. Everything. Force, Mm -hmm. uh, intelligence, computation, uh, recognizing. You know, they can recognize faces right away Mm -hmm. with the resume and everything with it. Mm -hmm. Go to the internet, search, think we cannot do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you will have to pull your iPhone or something or your uh, smartphone to find all this information. Mm -hmm. This guy has it in its brain as part of the machine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he can uh, communicate it to you down the road because we don't know how the communication will be done, not necessarily verbal, because if you have this companion robot with you and uh, you just want it to help you Mm -hmm. without others knowing, maybe there will be a chip in our brain Mm -hmm. or our uh, skull connected to this robot and it will help us. It mm-hmm. will tell us things we need to know while it doesn't share this with everyone, just with us. And who knows what else mm-hmm. could it be? The portability are enormous. If you think of all the smartphones and what they can do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Look at all these old movies and books. None of them predicted that. Mm-hmm. And this is something simple we have in our, in our pockets now. But now, are you, are you in some sense aligning yourself with this whole singularity movement? And people like Kurzweil who would say, look, there is sort of this disastrous future in front of us when the machines will take over. It's a bit, it's a bit like a Terminator scenario, right? Like you build Skynet and it becomes conscious that it takes over the world and we're lost. Well, I, I'm not seeing a singularity. I mean, we're in trouble. That's it. Uh, yeah. I don't see that because I think we are humans still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to bring a sense of human into mm-hmm. whatever we develop. You know, so at least we, we still have hope. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm looking at it more in the positive sense. There will be corrections throughout the path where things go wrong and we fix, things go wrong and fix. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, this is what we're doing. We're mm-hmm. finding something wrong. Look, traffic light. Why we invented traffic light? We had cars driving all over. There were not that many. They mm-hmm. ran into people. And we decided, and, and it became so much that mm-hmm. we needed to come with solutions. So we came with traffic light, right. brake light, uh, phone mm-hmm. light, and all those mm-hmm. tools that allow us to find, uh, you know, mm-hmm. manage with this right. chaos. And initially it probably was chaos, one mm-hmm. driving one way, the other one the other way. Now mm-hmm. we put order into this chaos, mm-hmm. and now we can make, we still have traffic jams, but people constantly coming with new solutions. And the same right. thing will be with this mm. robot. With time, I'm sure, constantly will come up with, and probably the speed of problems that are rising will be even faster than the speed of coming with solutions to mm-hmm. them. Right. But look what happened when we find sol- problems like that. We just shut down the factory or whatever until mm-hmm. we have a solution, mm-hmm. even like the space shuttle. When there was a problem, uh, there was an explosion, we turn it off. No flight until mm-hmm. we find solution. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it could be some situation like that here. Mm-hmm. That you know, you send uh, the movie I Robot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. They mar- they marketed uh, defective robots. You know, so mm-hmm. somehow they they're all out there and uh, going haywire. <laughs> right. Exactly. Do do? Uh, but the two record? things. No, the two things about this and this traffic lights. I think is a good example, right? Because the sobering observations that traffic lights are actually still hopelessly primitive. I mean, the way we regulate traffic in cities is actually terribly inefficient, and there we still have a long way to go. And and the second thing is that um, 
if we think about these robots and this robot future, it's often in these very utilitarian terms. Like they will be smarter than us, faster than us, stronger than us. But maybe they should be as lazy as we want to be. Humans have many features that are not utilitarian, right? It also has a lot to do with, let's say, quality of life, experience, enrichment of experience, and so on, in which you cannot outdo each other because it has to do with your enjoyment of life. I mean, you might want to do sports. It's just a very personal experience. So in that sense, isn't there this whole other aspect of, of human experience and, and, and human activity where we have to think about how these machines can assist us? Well, as I said, it's a, this is what we call the technology evolution. We're going to improve them to the direction where we feel comfortable with them. I will give you an example of... Uh, when those luggages that you carry with you to the airplane came out, initially they were vertical so that it will be narrow to go between the uh, chairs of the uh, airplane, uh, but they kept falling mm -hmm. because they were poorly balanced. And uh, I uh, didn't buy one because I saw it as a problem. And look where it is today. They're all flat. Mm -hmm. They sit more stable on the, on the ground. And, and look how they're evolving. Mm -hmm. And there's no comparison between those and what we used to have, I don't know, 10, 20 years back. We, we evolve. If you compare evolution of animals to evolution of our technology or commercial product, there is some similarity in many senses. Mm -hmm. Whatever we don't like, it becomes extinct. No one buys it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they come with the latest version that we like, and that's what we buy. Right. So it would be the same thing. One thing, of course, I will be concerned, talking about quality of life. So while things have improved our life, like the cell phone, we're constantly busy. It used to, I don't know, mm -hmm. go to a conference, no one here for me, I don't hear from anyone, I just enjoy, relax. Now I have a laptop with me, I have an iPhone with me, and I constantly, while I'm listening to the talk, I make sure my what I call business is mm -hmm. running smoothly because I'm taking care of things. Things that I would have waited, and probably it would be disastrous consequences by the time I arrive. But this is what it used to be. So now everyone has this capability. So everyone wants to be in real time with what's going on. So I know, and you heard the bing from my mm -hmm. phone. This is the constant bing. And all the time I have to check what happened and I have to tell them what to do mm -hmm. and, and take care of whatever is mm -hmm. happening. So while I have control, it's my life constantly being uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I am working. Mm -hmm. So bring the efficiency of having a robot on top of it. By the end of the day, you're exhausted. Exactly. You use yourself up too much. Exactly. Bags. Now, this is interesting, right? Well, we think we introduce the technology to make life easier. We just complexify it tremendously. It, tremendously. Mm. You, you have no time to, 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 to breathe. Uh, to breathe because exactly. you are very efficient. Yes. How much efficient can you be? Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, my gosh. You, could, you cannot turn your head because something is mm. going to happen and you have to right. watch it. Mm. But then to, to what extent do you see biomimetics playing a leading role in, in giving rise to this robot revolution that you envision? <laughs> it gives us more tools to make our life more efficient. Mm -hmm. I mean, efficiency could be good and bad because right. relaxing is not about efficiency. Mm -hmm. When you drink beer and having a good time watching the ocean, there's no efficiency. You're not looking for efficiency. And that's, at least if you have that time, or you, if you had time to do that, you won't have that probably because mm -hmm. you're so busy. You have right. a robot to take care of everything now. So on one hand, you think that with all the technology we created, 
we now have supposed to have more free time. I don't have free time. Mm-hmm. I used to go fishing. I don't go fishing anymore because mm-hmm. I don't have free time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because I am so efficient now. Mm-hmm. But yes. on the other hand, I published so many books. I published so many things. I made so many reports. I mm-hmm. have, you know, so many patents because I am efficient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, I probably would be more efficient. Mm-hmm. But... One half time for anything. So that also many, many other people have an exponential increase of emails in their mailboxes because you're so efficient. Exactly. And so in response, is, they're more efficient. So we and, and it's a problem. And, mm-hmm. and you are left out if you are not in that category of those who can do it. Mm-hmm. So I took a class how to read fast. And I, I type quick. And I constantly writing emails, mm-hmm. responding to things. And someone else is reading that so they sure. can respond. And this mm-hmm. is crazy. Mm-hmm. It is... In 2011, I don't know. I don't want to think what will happen in five right. years from now. How how <laughs> miserable it will be right. in terms of having to respond to emails so quick. Yes. You know? it's our efficiency arms race. My God, it mm. is. Yeah. It is. Mm. And, and so, but, but everyone that, is losing. And this is this is interesting, right? So technology has not helped us to improve the quality of life so far. But then my question is, in no, it the did. it just had to make us you know, efficient, it, it but not super efficient. And uh, you know we don't have time extra time. But not necessarily happy. You're not fishing. Yeah. Oh, you're not fishing anymore, happy right? Is, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but then the other thing is, what, so what I want to know from a, from the perspective of research, right? So this is the robot revolution. They will make us very efficient. So we'll be typing even more emails in the future, <laughs> right? And fixing the robot in the same time. <laughs> but to what extent is biomimetics going to lead the development? Do, is that your view on it, or is it one of many approaches that will contribute? Biomimetics. Mm-hmm. This is what is important about it. We do not want to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Nature has done a good job over billions of years with enormous pool of inventions. We just tapped some of them that we were able to copy or learn from. Mm-hmm. Some of them we don't even know. There's so much. I taught the new uh, zoo in San Diego. Apparently they have a program now on uh, biomimetics. And I told them, your role, just doing that, taking animal, animal, and start cataloging mm-hmm. what this animal as an engineering device, forget that this is a living creature, mm-hmm. biological with cells and stuff. Look at it as a machine. Mm-hmm. It has specs that it is between this size and this size. When it is adult, it can live this long. But beside that, what does it do? Look at it as an engineering. Mm-hmm. And we, the engineers, will try to see what we can learn from that. And there is a lot of things, and not just a simple engineering aspect you know the hair how does it grow what make it look that what does this hair the way it grows does because the way the angle and whatever white is here and not there all the things could give us clues to our new ideas because it's already been invented mm-hmm. and if it was no good it would have been extinct sure. the fact that it survived this millions of years this is incredible mm-hmm. and you look at things like that what are bring us to act to the uh, uh, octopus Look what it can do. We cannot do that. If I give you rope and uh, whatever, try to do on scale of human what spider does on scale of spider. This is incredible. Mm -hmm. Flat surface with all these strings. Mm -hmm. How does it tie? I always am fascinated. I never seen them, how they do, how they start. I always see them after they already made the progress. But somehow they link from one end to another. No knots it's all one flat surface 
And it's amazing. They're fairly repeating themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's just a spider, a tiny spider, and it's able in its mind to, code, to put all this coordinates and whatever, you know, uh, surface, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. Yes. We cannot do that. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet, mm -hmm. right? I mean. So now to so to 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 go to the to the finish. Um, so you're you're in this domain of biomedics for a long time. You've written several books about it. You have a very strong opinion what biomedics means. So if we would have to identify the the one law of, of Joseph Barcon with respect to how we're gonna move into that future, what's this one law that you would like to put out today? It's hard to answer that because it's so multidisciplinary field. It's, what is biomimetics? As I said, it's everything. Uh, what I'm hoping, there will be some kind of a handbook one day where we have everything we know about, about animals, even thing we know, because maybe we know, but someone else doesn't, so that new engineers will have this catalog of and it's going to be complicated, how multidimensional. How do you catalog that? By animal type, by, uh, by insects, animal, birds, whatever, by, by materials, by, by whatever, because everything is biomedic to some extent. And if we somehow one day we are able to make uh, an airplane with cells that rejuvenate and... Uh, and uh, self-repair and uh, make sure that it maintain all the things that it needs to maintain. And that could be a good biomimetics uh, lesson. I mean, the fact we make cars the same, and if they are somewhat, uh, you know, not exactly, then these cars that are not exactly are flawed. They won't perform as good. Look at us. Mm -hmm. You could be this short and you could be this long, tall and all of will do the same. They will be able to climb stairs. They will be able to climb trees. They will be able to write, read, do all the things we know how to do without being exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, if uh, once we die, our body become bones. And when you look at it, it's not connected. Mm -hmm. Nothing physically, rigidly connect everything. It's all scattered. We make our structures bolted down, glued mm -hmm. permanently. It's, we need to learn something, how to make structures that right. are not exact. Actually, mm -hmm. we don't want to look exactly the one like the other. Twins have a lot of problems sometimes of people recognize who is who. We mm -hmm. have identity. We like that. Mm -hmm. So something like that, structures that are different, right. it's nice. There are people already designing robots with mm -hmm. identity and appearance difference. Right. So your, the law would then be imprecision is power, something like this. Then the, the second... The second question would then be, okay, for we, we, we talked about, let's say, predictions that go pretty far into the future, up to 200 years was the last number we, we discussed there. But if you would have to make a prediction that we can validate with you five years from now, so we get you back here, next interview, and go, look, five years back, you gave me this prediction, and now you're going to tell me whether you succeeded or you failed. What's that prediction? That's a hard thing to do. <laughs> I, I'm sure I'll be wrong. <laughs> Most likely. You know, just to make it simple to understand. If you had a time machine and you just move two years from now, mm -hmm. lots of things are different. You don't even know what they're doing. You know, two years. I mean, even look at the, all the sure. cell phones now. Mm -hmm. They change every half a year or two sure. years. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I don't want to go back a year or two because mm -hmm. I don't have the good tools that I have already. Sure. Why would I go back? Look, we, we know Which is the same problem of prediction. <laughs> of course. If I knew. <laughs> no, we agree. Predicting is hard. That's why I want you to do it. So what's the prediction? One prediction only. It's uh, my hope. I would say hope instead mm. of prediction. My hope is that to see improvement at the uh, electroactive polymers mm. that will bring uh, practical commercial uh, materials rather or, or applications rather than just toys. Right mm -hmm. now, it's mostly toys. Okay. We have fish that are sitting in aquarium that the Japanese is selling. We have this, uh, you know, iPhone attachment yep, that is exactly. haptic interface. Yep. Hopefully, it will be uh, maybe a Braille display mm -hmm. or, you know, a mm -hmm. flexible type of um, right. something practical that makes different to people. Okay. So five years time, electroactive polymers as really an, a solid and mature product that what in I'm our society. To see. Hmm? Okay. Great. We'll Not be back to check. Hope. Okay, Joseph Barcohen, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. <laughs> okay. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomedics and Biohybrid Systems, a project funded by the European Seventh Research Framework Program. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.